Congregation, this is where we look up our reading in Jonah. Page number 1067. Might be easier to find it. Jonah chapter 1. Hear the word of God in Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, "'What do you mean, sleeper?' Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up. Throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's our reading from Jonah chapter 1, right when it gets interesting. Let's move now to Mark, because the reading from Jonah was to give the background for what happens on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, page 1156. Just give you some background before we get to that miracle we're reading of Jesus Christ teaching. He's doing miracles, but he's filled the day with many parables, much information. So Mark 4, beginning at verse 21, and all he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? 
For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. And whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, and here's our text we're focusing on, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. I know your translation might say a pillow, but it says the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith. And there's a little footnote there to remind you that um, it actually says, how is it that you still have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's our reading from Mark chapter 4. After the sermon, we're going to sing hymn 64. There's a Lord's Day 1 put to music, so what's your only comfort in life and death? Hymn 64 after the sermon. Congregation, brothers and sisters, loved by Jesus Christ our Lord. I got this archaeology magazine. It had a picture of the Sea of Galilee in an old boat. And the, uh, I think the, the cover page showed something of a fantastic phrase like, the Jesus boat. It's an old magazine, 1984, they had um, discovered, because the Sea of Galilee has been losing the amount of water, it's generally been drying up, they discovered a boat sunk in the mud. At least 2,000 years old, they figure. A typical fishing boat, they said. 
something that could have been like what Jesus was in with his disciples. It tells us a few things, dimensions, it's like 30 feet across from here to there, pretty long, about eight feet wide, eight feet wide is a little longer than this, and about four feet deep. It had a fairly flat bottom to the boat. Toward the back, at the stern, there was something of a deck. And under that deck, they discovered the pillow. It was always puzzling why the Greek New Testament had the word the in front of pillow. It was nicknamed the cushion. It was a large, heavy bag of sand for a ballast to keep, of the, to keep the bottom of the boat where the bottom of the boat should be, downward. And so there's the bag of sand, the, the pillow or the cushion, and it's a place to sleep in the shade, off the floor, where it's quiet. And the Sea of Galilee, if you, you know something about the Sea of Galilee, even reading in the scriptures how often it was stormy there. Just the geography. You've got uh, Mount Hermon up to the north, and you've got the uh, Dead Sea to the south. The wind would just build up, and there would be violent winds coming down the valley across the Sea of Galilee. And this is one time, probably one of many, when there's a storm on the lake, you just think of the other time that Peter's walking on the lake, Jesus is walking on the lake. That was a separate storm. But this is kind of normal, and these are fishermen. They're used to that. They encounter storms all the time. They knew they could be fighting for their lives, and this was one occasion that they're fighting for their lives. So here's Mark 4. Our Lord Jesus was sleeping on the pillow. His eyes were closed but he has this message for his disciples. Open your eyes. Wake up. Your Lord never sleeps through a storm. That's the message. Your Lord never sleeps through a storm. First of all, there's something that the Lord knows, the Lord Jesus knows about his Lord in heaven. And to get there, let's first back up and remember Jonah. It's almost the same story. There, there are so many overlaps. I'm, I'm sure you noticed it as we were reading it. The, the word choices in the same, in, in the language, it's very clear both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. Both are in this, what's called a whirlwind tempest. It grew more and more tempestuous. Both are surrounded by terrified men. Both happen to be sleeping. Both are woken up rudely and accused both storms then suddenly come to an end. And the result at the end of both storms are the men are exceedingly afraid. They have the fear of God in them. There's a huge difference between the two storms. Uh, why was Jonah running? He didn't want to do what God said to do. He was fleeing to the furthest possible place instead of preaching to Nineveh where God sent him. Instead of preaching to God's enemies, to Israel's enemies, his own enemies, he would rather go to some place in Tarshish. 
And with the perfect boat waiting for him in Joppa, with the wind in its sails going his direction, Jonah is deceiving himself into thinking that it's all okay between him and God. He went to sleep like a sinner goes to sleep, dead to God, thinking that God is on his side. That's Jonah. This is a huge difference then between these two storms because now you read in Mark that Jesus Christ is asleep in the storm and you're like, why is he asleep in a storm? He's not running from God, right? Jesus went to sleep in the bottom under the back deck of the boat, exhausted after a day of preaching and teaching, and he slept because he was right with God. And he slept because he knows something about God. Our Lord Jesus reveals that he knows something and he lives with that knowledge. What does Jesus know? He knows who God is. His heavenly Father. And he knows who he is. He is the Son of God sent to save the world. He knows who God is and who he is. And and he would be the one singing Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a Psalm of David. Actually, more precisely, Psalm 23 is a Psalm of the son of David. Psalm of Jesus Christ. These words have been perfect for the night of that storm. The Lord Jesus looking back on his day of preaching in the green pastures. Remember, he was, he was on the green hillsides preaching to the crowds and his father cared for him. He knew that. And he would go into the, the boat. His father leads him beside still waters. The lake was calm. And our Lord Jesus Christ knows he can sleep because even in the valley of shadow of death, he he knows these words, the Lord is my shepherd, he's with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so Jesus goes asleep on the pillow, the bag of sand, and he knows God is with him. And that's our point here. God is with him. God is at that time still with the Lord Jesus. And he knows that at some time there is a true storm coming. Put it in perspective. Jesus Christ knows that there will be a time. An ultimate storm is coming. Something that makes Hurricane Lee look like nothing. There's a true storm when God forsakes him. And this is not it. The little Sea of Galilee storm is nothing. Nothing to separate him from the love of his Father. So brothers and sisters, you've got to think about this. There are storms in your life, right? Things, tempests that really toss you around. And what can calm you? What will calm you down? Maybe you're sleeping trying to get through a Category 1 storm, 120 kilometer an hour winds. What will give you rest when there's something bigger coming, like a Category 5, when the winds are twice as fast? 
We all have our different storms. Or you're even next to people who have their storms. What will calm you? God is with you. That is the message of comfort. And contrast that to what Jesus knows. This is not the category H storm. If I can make up a category H, it would be category hell. This was not it. God was with him. You need to see this point because the disciples are not seeing it. They have completely lost their minds. In that storm, the disciples, they are waking up Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It's quite an accusation. Don't you care? Aren't you our shepherd? The Son of God is with them. And they're worried. Think about that. The Son of God is with them and they're worried. God is with them. God couldn't be more with them in the flesh and in that boat. And they say, don't you care that we are perishing? Our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, has been saying, for this purpose I came. I've come to save those who are perishing. I didn't just come to save those who are dying from natural disasters. I came to those to save those who are perishing, who would be in category H storm level if I didn't come to save them from spiritual disaster. And these disciples are saying, Teacher, don't you care? Christ's answer is, I care more than you ever know. I certainly care about those who are perishing. Do you have your eyes closed? Are you guys awake, really? Don't you see Emmanuel, that Hebrew name given to Jesus? God with us. That if their boat goes down, and the other boats that are with them, if they go down, they all perish. Imagine that. Everyone including Jesus, at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Is that even possible? Is it possible for the Son of God to die on this lake in that storm? Our first point is that Jesus knows His shepherd. And that's why He can sleep. He knows that God is His shepherd. Next, let's look at the power that Jesus displays. Our second point is about Jesus' power. If you're one to enjoy automotive performance, cars and trucks, races, you've heard the expression, a sleeper car. If you have a quiet, unassuming, ordinary-looking car, or in my case, a minivan, if it pulls up next to you at the stoplight, you don't give it a second glance because it looks pretty ordinary. But when the light turns green, you leave people in the dust. No one knew what was under the hood. Jesus Christ is a sleeper. 
And he took on human flesh. He was like you and me in every way. But as it's obvious in the storm and at this moment, he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He had such power that instantly it all dies down. The wind is over. The waves are done. And the disciples had been with Jesus for a while, calling him teacher. Because that's what he was doing. He was teaching. He'd been teaching about the kingdom of God. Surprise, surprise, the kingdom of God is a sleeper kingdom. It's a sleeper field. That's what he said in one of the parables. Verse 26, every day the farmer goes to sleep and then he wakes up. He looks at the field, goes to sleep and he wakes up. And surprisingly, it's growing. And that's the kingdom of God. A slowly advancing kingdom you can hardly see grow because it grows bit by bit. The kingdom of God is awesome in its growth and its power. Verse 30, another parable, like a grain of mustard. A grain of mustard seed grows into this massive bush. God has the power to do it all at once, but no, he takes something so small, insignificant, and he spreads it out over all the earth. So in our text, here's Jesus Christ, and he stands up to rebuke the winds. Peace. Be still. What's his power? His power, the spoken word. Even the wind and the sea obey him. As if the wind and the sea have ears. And all this time, for some 30 years, Jesus Christ was on earth. He was a sleeper. He had this awesome power under the hood. Everything he could command, and it would just happen. He could control every weather event. But on this occasion, in that boat, in that storm, he shows the power that he has as king, as creator. Satan knew. All the demons knew. Christ was a sleeper. Remember the temptations in the wilderness? You can just say the word and, and make stones into bread. You could just do it. We know that, Satan said. Or you can jump off this temple roof and, and have a whole bunch of angels rescue you. We know that about you. And Jesus knew it too. The demons, the demons when Jesus encountered the man with the legion, just send us into the pigs. The demons knew that with a command, they had no choice and it would happen. Christ's power is displayed in his word. And there's the gospel of John. Remember how the gospel begins. Who is Jesus? The word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So what power does Jesus have? Step back in time. He created the world. God created the world through Him with His spoken Word. And that little 10-mile-wide lake, the Sea of Galilee, we call it, 
that was his creation. In the beginning, Christ spoke and it came to be. And it would be obeying him when he said, go to sleep, peace, quiet down. So brothers and sisters, this is the power the disciples see. In an instant, they realized that their storm was nothing. It was nothing at all in the Creator's hands. What would it take for us to realize the same thing? That we would open our eyes, that we would wake up and see what storms God surrounds us with. He surrounded you with or storms in the people's lives that you know of. Jesus could just speak the word and it would be all over. Your Lord Jesus Christ is like a movie director. You know how a movie director is trying to get the film to be made and uh, the actors are doing their thing and then immediately there's one point where the director says, cut, cut. And he stops the whole commotion and and he points out, you were doing it all wrong. Let's back up and start over again. You know, a movie director does that. This is what's happening here. It's not just that we fail to know God is with us, our first point. Fail to know that God is with us. It's not just that we fail to see God's power and know His power. That was our second point. We fail to see His wisdom. Where were we going wrong? How did we miss this? So our third point. Christ reveals his wisdom. And Christ has some pretty edgy words for his disciples. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? And, and he says, Why have you still no faith? And that word still is kind of important. With all that the disciples have seen that day, all the disciples have been seeing, because earlier miracles have been going on, the demons were submitting, the sicknesses, the diseases were submitting to the Lord Jesus. Have you still no faith? You're going to see how quickly the storm dies down. How fake, how contrived this storm really is. It's such an instant ending. How many of life's storms are not like this? Custom made by God to bring us to this point. Why are you so afraid, my child? Have you still no faith? Why are you so fearful? Have you still no faith after all that I've shown? Do you see how empty, brothers and sisters, how powerless storms actually are? Every storm is exactly like this one. With a single word of God, it would come to an instant end. Storms in your health. Storms in your relationships. Storms in your finances. Only take a single word. Cut! And it's over. That's all it would take. Nothing has the power to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But how easy it is to lose sight of God's wisdom. 
Can you see the difference between small things and big things? Because that's what wisdom is. To know how to sort things out. That there are things that are really important and really huge and things that are small and adjustable. The storm mentioned in our text, it turns out that was a small one. Have you still no faith? What about a larger storm that's coming, my disciples? You know about that one? Why are you so fearful? What about a storm when Christ is thrown off the earth, overboard in a way? Like Jonah, thrown to bring peace to the earth. Jesus Christ was rejected by God and man. And the storm that God's full wrath was coming against Jesus Christ. And remember what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Christ's greatest need, the disciples. Who were asleep? Oh yeah, it's the disciples. They were the ones who were sleeping. And the storm was coming when God's wrath would be against Jesus Christ. They were sleeping again and again. Oh, because their eyes were heavy. Christ was rejected and abandoned. It would be fair during his life if Jesus asked his disciples, don't you care that I am perishing? You've denied me. You've forsaken me. You've run away. Even my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can see Jonah was overthrown. He was thrown overboard for his own sins, but Jesus Christ thrown Overboard for your sins, for mine. Jesus Christ was put to death so that the storm of God's wrath would never touch you. You know, that's the gospel. To bring peace, Christ was thrown overboard. And you see the Lord's wisdom here. This is a practice run. A trial run in that storm, in that sea of Galilee. Let's practice with something small before something big comes your way. He's preparing his disciples for the time when he would be truly dead to the world. Not just asleep in the bottom of the boat. Unresponsive for three days and three nights. His disciples upstairs in a room locked themselves up in that room up there. The disciples asking, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And on the Sea of Galilee, you see the Lord's wisdom. That was just one practice run. What about John 16, verse 16? A little while, Jesus says, and you will see me no longer. Three days, right? Again a little while, and you will see me. I will come back. Christ says, behold, I will be with you always. Even if you don't see me, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The whole New Testament time, this is the time we live in where Christ is in heaven physically there. To all appearances on earth, the world is saying, where's your God? Is he sleeping? Why doesn't he prove himself? The world would love to have another Mount Carmel contest. Baal and the prophets of Baal against Elijah and the God of heaven and earth. The world wants to see fire from heaven. That kind of proof. Is your God sleeping? 
Or brothers and sisters, are you sleeping? The whole miracle on the Sea of Galilee is finally what wakes these disciples up. And they were filled with great fear. They were exceedingly afraid. This is it. They finally have the fear of God in them. They, they began with this fearfulness. Why are you so fearful, Jesus said. And now they end with this proper fear. They're filled exceedingly with fear that is worshipful, that is awe, that is devotion. They realized that the Son of God was with them, and they were the ones who were sleepy. They were the ones who were dull, dim-witted, sluggish. And they were with the King of Kings. Who then is this? That's their question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We had no idea. The Son of God is with us. They feared a great fear. In all creation, they see that once in a while when the sea and the waves, the wind, it all dies down and they see all creation obeys him. It's about time we did too. We're the crowning work of God's creation. We might be the slowest ones to worship, fall down, and obey our Creator. So brothers and sisters, let's open our eyes to see our Lord Jesus Christ. See Him. He's got the knowledge. He knows His Father is shepherd. He's got the power. He speaks His Word. He's got the wisdom. He leads us from small storms to prepare us for challenges ahead. And he himself has gone through the greatest storm ever. Jesus Christ is the one and the only one who will ever put an end to every storm. If you trust in Jesus Christ, these storms in this life are the last ones you will ever see. Amen.